you missed it, if you came in a little bit late, um, we had just a small announcement earlier. And um, I, I really have, honestly, as your pastor, I, I've kind of had this thought recently that, um, you know, maybe you guys were losing faith in me, like maybe there was no contract ever at all uh, there at uh, the Hargrave building. And uh, so I'm, I'm just so thankful um, that we have this, and I'm so thankful that God went uh, before us. And um, I, I got to tell you, it's too complicated to explain all the ins and the outs of how all this happened, but um, suffice it to say that at different points along the way in this negotiations with Hargray and some other little things that kind of popped up as we were kind of in the middle of negotiations, um, suffice it to say that God was absolutely 100% faithful. Um, we, a year ago this coming May, I don't know if some of you were with us then, um, we put out the fleece and we asked God um, that if a couple things would happen, then we were supposed to move forward in faith. And one of those things was is that we had to raise you know, the uh, down payment, which was $110,000, which to a congregation uh, you know, of our size, especially at the time, seemed impossible. And then we, told, we asked God, if uh, you want us to move forward with this, you're going to have to see fit to make the zoning appropriate. To our surprise, it shouldn't have been to our surprise because God is so faithful, but uh, we looked up the zoning and it already was zoned properly for us. We didn't know that going in. And uh, so we felt like that was an indication that God wanted us to move forward pursuing this building. And so we did, and we began negotiations, uh, uh, firm negotiations. Um, but it was December the 8th, I want you to catch this, 2010, when we heard about this building. It was the day that we were supposed to renegotiate a lease here. And as you can see, it's a little tight in here this morning. So God knew what he was doing when he showed us this new place uh, there at mile marker 9. And so, yeah, this last Thursday at about 3.45 in the afternoon, uh, we executed a, a lease purchase uh, with Hargray. And uh, it consists of basically essentially three acres and two buildings there. One of them is a small kind of garage building. And uh, so we're excited about this. We're excited. We're going to, uh, Cynthia will tell you later, we're going to be having some times where you can come and take a look and, and look around. Um, but, but here's something I want to let you know. Um, I, I, we need your help. Um, we've gotten this far, and God has seen fit to, to use many of you to raise the money and uh, have negotiations. And by the way, let, let me just recognize one person. He hates this, and I don't normally do this, but I want to let Gary Harrison know. Gary is in the back here. He's our chairman of the elders. Gary, I'm going to have you stand up for just a moment. Gary negotiated this lease. Gary, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness. <laughs> he hung in there. Um, he protected the church. He was a, an extremely good steward uh, of what God has done here in making sure that it was an equitable contract for both parties, but that it was in particular uh, protecting uh, Hilton Head Island Community Church and did a, a, an amazing job. But here's where we need your help. Um, a few weeks ago, some of you signed up on that serve card. Do you all remember that serve card? By the way, there are more of them on the slat wall there back at the information wall. And so if you haven't, um, we'd love to have you serve in different areas of, our, of, of Hilton Head Island Community Church. But one area that many of you signed up for was demolition work. <laughs> That's going to be fun, isn't it, guys? All right. Anyway, demolition work, uh, some light construction and that sort of thing, things that we can do without you know, contracting that out. 
uh, will help save money. So here's where we need your help. If you signed up for those projects, when we email and call you <laughs> and we say, here's when this starts and we need you to be here on that date, do everything you can to be there on that date. Here's why. Time is literally money. <laughs> and we have about 110 days to build phase one out and get that prepared for us to worship in. And so if you signed up for one of those areas, please be faithful to be there. Be faithful to do what you can to make sure that we don't have to outsource that. And that will uh, help us save time and, uh, and, and, and effort on that money. Um, the question that most of you are asking, I'm sure, is when are we going to be in? I don't know. I have no clue. Uh, but we, are, we have about 100 days, about 100, 100 to 120 days that we have to do the construction. And so we're going to make every effort to jump in and get started as soon as possible. And so I'm going to ask you to pray for a couple things. Um, number one, I'm going to ask you to pray for uh, all the permitting process to go smoothly. So far, so good. With the time delay, we've been able to do some things ahead of time. And so that's gone extremely, extremely well. I'm going to ask you to continue to pray for the permitting process. That goes very smoothly with the town. The second thing I'm going to ask you to pray for is the continued fundraising effort. As you know, um, we have raised roughly $214,000, $15,000 for phase one renovations, um, but we need about $300,000 roughly. And so there's about $85,000 that we need to cover. And you know what? Here's what I believe. God saw fit to raise $110,000 for the down payment. He saw fit to prepare a place that was already zoned for our use. That's amazing. He saw fit to get us through the contract negotiations. He is being faithful with the town. That process is going as smooth as it can go. I believe that he's going to be faithful to raise that extra $85,000 so that we can complete that project. And I'm excited that by the summertime, we're going to be moved in there. And we're going to be in, yeah, one service, okay? So uh, that's going to be exciting. And I'm going to ask you to pray. And I think it would be good for us just to stop right now and to thank God for all that he has done. So will you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, thank you for your faithfulness. And God, doing church is not about a building, but God, you're going to use that building for your glory. You're going to use that building as a beacon of light in a dark world. And God, there are going to be people who walk across the threshold of that building at mile marker nine, God, who will walk out completely changed. And they will walk out with the absolute assurance that they are going to heaven because they put their faith and their trust in you, Jesus. And I'm excited about that day that we move in. God, I'm excited about all that. But we want to pause, and we don't want to give glory to ourselves. We want to absolutely give you all the glory for what you've done. You have made our way straight. You've prepared that place for your church, your bride, Hilton Head Island Community Church. And we are so thankful for what you've done. Father God, go before us now, and I pray that you would just continue the permitting process. I pray that you would just continue to make that as smooth as possible, that you would go before us on this fundraising, this additional $85,000 that we need. God, we don't want to go into debt. We don't believe that's the best thing for your bride, your church. And so, God, I'm asking today that you provide in miraculous ways. I pray that you would do it through us. I pray that you would do it through friends of us, God. I pray that you would just shower resources upon your church, your bride so that we can complete that project. And God, I pray that everything that's done 
and everything that's said in these last hundred days as we prepare that facility for you. God, I pray that it's pleasing to you. And God, may you be glorified and may we rejoice for what you've done the day that we move in there. God, go before us now. I pray that you would lead us into wisdom and into knowledge and understanding from your word. And God, may we learn, may we continue to learn what it means to be faithful with those relationships around us. And God, may we understand from an old, beautiful Old Testament story what it means to remain faithful to those people who you've put in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ruth chapter 1. We're in the Old Testament. Now we're in week uh, 3 here of a series called Faithful. And there have been two premises that I have uh, kind of used to, to use as maybe a springboard or a starting point for this series. The first one is this. I believe that our relationships with each other, the relationships that we have with husband and wife, the relationship that we have with brother or sister, the relationship that we have with moms or dads, or in this case, mother-in-laws and father-in-laws, I believe the relationships that we have with our friends and our family and those loved ones in our lives, I believe the way that we operate in those relationships, I want you to catch this, is a reflection of our relationship with God. Are you with me? That is a direct connection between our relationship with God, how we treat others, the level that we treat others with respect, the, the level that we treat others with honor, I believe is a reflection of our true relationship that we have with God. But there's a second premise, and it's from Paul's words in Rome, Romans 12, 9 and 10. He says this, and this is a New Living Translation. I don't normally use this translation, but this just says it so well. Paul says this, don't just pretend to love others. Now, we're good at that, aren't we? We're really good at pretending to love others. He says, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. And then in verse 10, he says, love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. You know, in our day and age, there's not much genuine love out there, is there? There's just not much authenticity when it comes to love. But Paul calls us to remain faithful in our relationships and remain faithful to those that God has put in our life. Over the past couple weeks, we've taken a look at Jacob and we take, took a look at his life and how his brothers, the, the, the men who are supposed to love him the most, uh, ab absolutely uh, uh, took advantage of him. And, and in the face of the, really the worst kind of betrayal, Joseph, as he kind of went up the ladder of success, forgave his brothers. And we learned how being faithful means that we have got to learn to forgive each other. We've got to learn what it means to forgive each other. Last week, we talked about operating from a position of respect. And we took a, a look at the life of David. And we saw in David's life an example of uh, David and his relationship with Saul and how much respect he had for King Saul and how much respect he had for the fact that God had anointed him as king over Israel. But we took a look conversely at a relationship that David had with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite and how he had a lack of respect in those relationships. And we learned that being faithful means that we have to operate with a level of respect towards those who we love. Today we're going to take a look at what it means to be patient and the fact that faithfulness in our relationship will often mean that we ought to operate with some level of patience and understanding for what people are going through and exactly what that means. 
Uh, patience is one of those very interesting concepts. And in our humanity, it's really interesting because in our humanity, um, we love patience poured out upon us, don't we? We're like, yeah, I messed up, but I need you to be patient with me. You know, I know it's taken a long time. Can you please be patient? And so in our humanity, we want patience poured out, showered out upon us. But when it comes to us dishing out patience, we're stingy, aren't we? We're stingy with it. We don't like to give someone patience. We like to take patience, but we don't like to give it out. One of my favorite books is a uh, little devotional. A lot of you may know it and you may have read it. It's called My Utmost for His Highest, Oswald Chambers. Absolutely love it. If you have the opportunity, go to Heaven Sent and pick up a copy of that. It is a fantastic little book. And you can read it. It's a daily devotional, 365. You can read it in like three or four minutes. It's, it's great. It's fantastic. Well, in, I believe it's August, in one of his devotionals, Oswald Chambers says this, Don't get impatient with others. Remember how God dealt with you. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he dealt with us with great patience, didn't he? He goes on to say, with patience and gentleness, that's the way that we ought to interact with others. Now, I don't know that much more needs to be said than that, really. I mean, honestly, we could just end right there. And you would like that, wouldn't you? Anyway, God wants us to deal with others with patience and understanding. But, man, that's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? It's a lot easier said than done. The story we're going to take a look at today has to do with a mother-in-law. Now, when I say those words, mother-in-law, boy, there's a lot of different things that come to mind, isn't there? <laughs> Mother-in-laws are often vilified. They're the butt of jokes, aren't they? Um, I have a great mother-in-law, and so I just said that because she'll probably listen to that one day. Okay, so anyway, no, she is a fantastic mother-in-law, okay, Sandra? Anyway, uh, so when we think of mother-in-laws, it's not necessarily a good thing in society. Society's built up this idea that there's this uh, conflict that just ought to happen between sons and daughters and their in-laws. That's why they're called, you know, in-laws, and some people say they're called outlaws, right? Okay, so there's this idea in our society that that's what exists, but I want you to take a look at Ruth, and I want to take a look at a story of a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law where that conflict didn't exist. In fact, just the opposite of that existed. Now, the story we're going to look at takes place in between our two stories. So, a few weeks ago, we talked about Joseph. It was very early on in human history. It was very early on in Old Testament history. Last week, we looked at David, and that was about halfway through the Old Testament in terms of timeline. Uh, the story of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, takes place right kind of in the middle of that. And so if you have your Bibles, you're in Ruth, and we're going to be bouncing around in different sections of Ruth. Our story begins with the mother-in-law, and her name is Naomi. And Naomi is a lady who um, is from Jewish descent. She's married to a man named Elimelech, and he has two sons. And I can barely say Elimelech, and I can't say his son's name, so I'm not even going to try, okay? So Naomi and Elimelech and two unpronounceable sons' names, okay? And that's the family that we're going to be talking about today. And they're from Bethlehem. They're from Bethlehem, which is in a place called Judea. And so they come from Bethlehem. They're all of Jewish descent. Well, as often happens in the Old Testament stories, there's a famine in the land. It's like, yeah, man, so many Old Testament stories begin with there being a famine. Well, this one begins with a famine. 
And so Elimelech and Naomi and these two boys, who have unpronounceable names, they are concerned about their family's welfare because they can't produce any crops. They can't produce anything from the crops. So Elimelech and Naomi and the two sons decide that they're going to move across the Jordan River to a place called Moab. And they move east across the Jordan River, which would have been a long way in that day, to a place that had uh, that the famine had not hit quite as hard. And it was a place called Moab. And so they take all their possessions, they gather them up, and they move from this little town called Bethlehem to this area called Moab. Now, um, that in itself is a big deal because the Moabites, yep, that's what you called them, okay? The Moabites were enemies with the Israelites, and then there's the Temanites and the Accusites, and then there's the Mosquitoites. So anyway, there's uh, all these ites, and they're all fighting with each other, and they're all enemies with each other, and they're all in conflict. Well, Elimelech and Naomi and the two sons move right into enemy territory. But it's interesting because things go pretty well for them there. They begin to produce some crops. It's a better environment. The famine hasn't hit so hard, and things are actually going pretty well. Well, then all of a sudden, the book of Ruth tells us that Naomi's husband, Elimelech, he dies. And so all of a sudden, Naomi finds herself without a husband. Well, the story goes that after his death, these two boys found two Moabite women. That's kind of amazing to say, but Moabite women. One of them's name is Orpha, and the other's name is Ruth, and they marry these two women. And so one marries Orpha, and not Oprah, by the way. One marries Orpha, and the other marries Ruth, and they seemingly live kind of a you know, you know, happily ever after kind of life. Well, all of a sudden, Ruth tells us that the two sons, who I can't pronounce their names, they die. And so all of a sudden, Naomi is left having to take care of these two daughter-in-laws that are, wait, hang on, from Moab, the enemies of Israel. And so all of a sudden, she has to take care of her daughters, Orpha and Ruth, and she has to figure out what to do with these daughters. What is she going to do? She has no husband. She has no sons. All of her loved ones, all of her blood relatives and her husband have died. And all of a sudden, she's left with this great responsibility. So she decides one day that she thinks the best thing to do is to pack up her bags and camels and probably donkeys and move back to Bethlehem to go back to where she came from. And so she packs up, and the, the way that I read it is it appears as if she and her daughter-in-laws were on the road heading to Jerusalem, and something in her stopped, and she encouraged Orpha and Ruth, her daughter-in-laws, to go back to their homeland of Moab. Now, we don't know exactly why, but we can presume that she probably thought, man, I had to go into a foreign land. I had to go into my enemy's territory and make a go of it. I don't want my daughter-in-laws to have to do the same thing. I have no husband. I have no sons to take care of these daughter-in-laws. They just need to go back to their home country and live a good life and find husbands themselves. And so she encourages them to do that. Take a look at Ruth 1, verse 14. It says this, at this, they wept again. Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. And I'm inserting this here. And she went back to Moab. But Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to Naomi. 
She realized that Naomi needed help. She realized potential suffering that was going on. She realized that Naomi was probably still grieving over her loss, and she clung to her. And it's our first point this morning. Demonstrating patience in our relationships means that we stay close. It's very simple. It means that we stay close. We can demonstrate patience for a loved one during a trying time when we remain close. You know the old adage, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going? Ruth is the antithesis of that. She is completely the opposite of that. When the tough comes upon Naomi, her mother-in-law, she clings to her. She remains close to her. Sometimes your presence, I want you to catch this, sometimes it's just your presence with a loved one that may be going through suffering or a hard time, or perhaps even not. Perhaps they're going through a good time. Perhaps things are going well. Sometimes it's just simply your presence that can make the difference in their life. You might think, yeah, but they don't want me around. I'm a bother in this situation. That's an excuse. That's a justification. There are times when those that we're closest to need us to be present. A few years ago, I went through a particularly tough time in my own life, and um, it all came to a head one day. Have you all had that happen? Kind of a bad time, and it all comes to a head one day. And it's always on a Sunday for me. It always is. So after church, everything came to a head, and we were going through some crisis stuff in our family and that sort of thing. And, and I, I really needed to reach out to a friend. Well, I have a best friend. His name is Brian. And so I called Brian up, and he lives in Atlanta. And, and I told him the story, and he said, dude... I, because guys say dude, don't we? Okay, we don't say, hey, you. We say dude. He goes, dude, I will get in the car and I will drive to Hilton Head and we'll talk and we'll pray and we'll do all the stuff that we need to do to help you out. You don't know how much that meant to me. Now, I said, dude, that's okay. You don't have to do that. But you don't know how much that meant to me to know that my best friend would get in a car and drive six hours to be here to pray with me, to help me, to talk to me uh, through the situation that I was going through. Sometimes... Sometimes being patient with your friends or family means remaining close to them. You don't realize how much your presence in their life can make a difference. And sometimes our humanness says, when things get tough, I'm going to get going. In 2003, um, my mom got a call from a doctor. It's one of those calls you don't want to get. And the doctor said, you have breast cancer. And we're going to have to operate as soon as possible. And I remember getting the call from my mom. It was a Wednesday afternoon. It was raining. It was cold in Atlanta. It was much like a day like today, except it was cold. And I remember my mom and dad saying, you know, hey, here's what's going on. You know, surgery's going to be next week. It's going to be very quick. And uh, I, I went to one of my pastor friends who I was on staff with. His name is Marlon. And his mother had gone through a similar situation. And uh, his family had gone through a similar situation. And his words to me were, make sure that you do everything you can to spend time with your mom and dad during this period of time. Now, they live, you know, they live 30 miles on the other side of Atlanta, which if you know Atlanta, that's like two hours away, practically, with the traffic. But I did everything I could to be there all the time when she had her surgeries, when she was going through chemo, when she was going through radiation, I did everything that I could to be there. And I don't know what kind of difference that made, but I think for my mom and dad, it brought peace that my sister, my sister came down to, that we were there for my mom. Sometimes it means just remaining close to those you love. How about you? Is there someone in your life right now who you need to pick up the call, uh, phone today and you need to call and say, dude or dudette, <laughs> I want to be there for you. I want to be there for you. I'm going to drive. I'm going to fly. I'm going to do what it 
takes to help meet your needs and to be with you during the suffering. Make that decision right now to go see that person. Faithfulness, patience in our relationship means that we stay close. Secondly, demonstrating patience in our relationship means that we sacrifice. Take a look at Ruth 1, 16 through 18. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people, remember, she's from Moab. She's from the enemy of Israel. She says, your people will be my people. That was a huge, huge statement. And then she says, and your God, my God. We see in that instance that at some point in time, Ruth became a believer in the one true God, which the Moabites didn't have that at all. Take a look at the next verse. Where you die, please don't miss this. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. This is her mother-in-law. Guys, can you imagine saying those words to your mother-in-law? Okay, don't answer that question out loud. That is huge sacrifice. She said, I I am going to let nothing but death separate us. And I believe that Ruth knew exactly what she was doing. I believe that Ruth knew the consequences of her actions. You see, she was going back into Judah. She was going back into Bethlehem. She was going into a place that she wasn't welcome at all. She was going back to the place where the Israelites were her nation's enemies. She knew the risks, but she did it anyway. She sacrificed anyway. I'll bet you can think of somebody who sacrificed for you. I bet if you think real hard, you can think that somebody in your life made a sacrifice for you. My dad made a sacrifice for my, me and my sister. She's three years younger than me, and my dad grew up in a really poor home. His father was an uh, immigrant Scotsman who um, drove a beer truck for a living. And my dad grew up in just poverty, absolute poverty in St. Petersburg, Florida. And he said when he uh, graduated uh, from a two-year degree in college and went off to the Navy and then got married to my mom, he said, I'm going to make a better life for my family than I had myself. And he made a commitment to make a better life for my sister and myself, so much so that there were many times it was his greatest strength was his greatest weakness. And he worked hard. He, he became a salesman. He sold dictation equipment to lawyers and doctors for 30 years with the same company. He worked so incredibly hard. And part of the reason that he worked so hard, part of the reason that he made the sacrifice was to make sure that my sister and I had a college education because he didn't. He wanted to make absolutely sure, and he sacrificed so that we could have a college education. Now, he didn't give us the easy road out. We both had to work through college, and that was my dad's way of uh, giving us a lesson in life. But he worked so hard, and he sacrificed. And I'll bet if you think you can think of someone who sacrificed for you. You see, when we sacrifice for other people, when we give up something, when we give up our own selfish ambition, or when we give up our resources, or when we give up our materialism for someone else, we are truly saying, yeah, I'm patient, I'm faithful to this relationship. And it's interesting what sacrifice does, because sacrifice not only makes the one who's sacrificing more faithful, but it makes the receiver, the recipient, more faithful also, doesn't it? It's mutually beneficial, and it mutually increases the faithfulness in the relationship. It's said that Cyrus, who was the founder of the Persian Empire, he once captured a prince in this prince's family. Well, when they came before him, the monarch asked this uh, prince, this prisoner, 
what will you give me if I release you? And the prince responded by saying, half my wealth, half of everything I own, I'll give to you. Well, what if I release your children, Cyrus said. He said, everything I possess, not just half, but everything I possess. And what if I release your wife, Cyrus said. And he said, your majesty, I'll give you myself. I'll give you everything that I am. I'll give you myself. Well, Cyrus was so moved by this devotion that he freed all of them. And as they returned home, the prince looked at his wife and said, wow, that Cyrus is a handsome man. Well, insecurity there on the prince's part. (laughs) He said, uh, that that, uh, Cyrus is a handsome man. And with a look of deep love for her husband, she said to him, I didn't notice. I could only keep my eyes on the one, you, who remained faithful and was willing to give himself up for me. You see, when we sacrifice for each other, we allow that other person to increase their faithfulness too. There's a depth of faithfulness that happens when we become selfless and it helps both parties. So what are you willing to do to give up for a loved one today? What are you willing to do to sacrifice? What are you willing to do to sacrifice for someone that God has put in your life and demonstrate patience and faithfulness. Well, demonstrating patience and faithfulness means that we stay close. It means that we sacrifice. And finally, it means that we serve. It means that we serve, that we serve each other. Take a look at what happens as soon as Ruth and Naomi arrive back in Bethlehem. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. Remember that name. We'll come back to it in a moment. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi... Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find, in anyone whose eyes I find favor. Now, we have to understand a little bit of something about the culture here. Uh, People who were very poor, people who were very needy, uh, would often go out into the fields and follow the wealthier uh, people, uh, and they would pick up the leftovers. And that's what Ruth offered to do for Naomi. You see, not only did she remain close, not only did she cling to her mother-in-law, not only did she sacrifice by going into a land that was, uh, uh, you know, enemy territory, but she said, I'm going to serve my mother-in-law. She didn't want anything out of this. She wanted to make sure that they had enough food and grain to be able to survive. And so she went herself out in the field in a place where she didn't know anyone at all. She had no idea probably what she was doing, and she picked up the leftover grain so that Naomi could live a life there in Bethlehem. It was a sacrifice that was completely selfless, and she did it for the sole purpose of helping her mother-in-law, Naomi. She had nothing to gain. She didn't seek any gain. It was completely selfless. And that's a lesson that we can learn about patience. That's a lesson that we can learn about faithfulness, is that when someone's going through a trying time, when someone who's close to you is suffering, one of the greatest things that we can do is we can serve them. It might mean bringing them a meal. It might mean uh, driving them to the grocery store. It might mean saying, hey, why don't we keep your kids for an evening so that you guys can go out? That wasn't a hint, by the way. We've had somebody do that recently. So it may mean that you just do something to serve that other person, something that's giving to them and giving up something for yourself. So what do you need to do to serve someone today? What do you need to do to show patience and faithfulness in a relationship? What do you need to do to serve someone today? Well, that's not all the story. There's, as Paul Harvey says, the rest of the story. And the rest of the story is is that 
Ruth is out in the field, and this man named Boaz, and we're not going to look at that relationship much today, um, and it's a very romantic relationship. It's a fantastic story. Boaz is out in the field, and he looks back, and he sees Ruth, and he falls in love with her. Well, what they didn't know is that Boaz was kin to Naomi's husband, Elimelech. And all of a sudden, Ruth marries back into that family when Boaz asked for her hand in marriage. And so we see great redemption right there for Naomi herself. And she's, uh, Boaz is called her kinsman redeemer. See, he redeemed her in Bethlehem. He redeemed her back to full status because he was a relative, a long-lost relative of hers. And he marries this daughter-in-law, and all of a sudden, she's got more than a husband. She's got more than sons. She's got a daughter-in-law who cares deeply for her and now a husband who's actually part of the family anyway. And it's a beautiful picture of redemption. Take a look at Ruth 4, 14 and 15. The women, these are the women of Bethlehem, they said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout all of Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. The beautiful part of this story is that Ruth and Boaz get married and they have a son. And his name is Obed. And Obed grows up, and he has a son, and his name is Jesse. And Jesse has a son, and guess who Jesse's son's name is? David, King David. And that's the line of ancestry that Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of all mankind, comes from. Doesn't that give you goosebumps? Isn't that amazing? And guess where this all takes place? In Bethlehem, the place where Jesus one day is born. That's the rest of the story is that God will use your patience. God will use your service and your sacrifice at your application point this morning. God will be faithful to bless us when we are patient with others. He will be faithful to bless us when we are patient with others. It's the beautiful redemption of this story. You see, not only was it Naomi and Ruth who were redeemed, but it was all mankind that was redeemed through this story. You see, if Ruth had not said, I'm going to stay close to Naomi, if Ruth had not said, I'm going to sacrifice for Naomi, if Ruth had not said, I'm going to serve Naomi, God would have had to go another route to bring the Savior into the world. But he used this story, and it's the beauty of the scarlet thread of history, of God working in mankind. He will bless you if you remain faithful and patient with others. I'm sure that you're thinking of someone. I'm sure that you're thinking of someone that you can stay close to, that you can sacrifice, and that you can serve. You know, for some of you, it may not be a physical thing. It may not be a material need that they need. It may be something spiritual. It might mean that you um, stay close to, that you sacrifice and you serve for someone who's far from God or maybe doesn't even know God. And because of your patience, they may come to know Jesus as their Savior. I grew up in a little church in Lilburn, Georgia. The church was called Lilburn Alliance Church. And uh, we had prayer meeting on Sunday night. Some of you probably grew up with prayer meeting. And at our prayer meeting at Lilburn Alliance Church, we would set up microphones in the aisleways, and we'd have people come up to the microphones, and they would give their prayer requests. 
This is dangerous stuff in a church, let me just tell you, because you don't know what people are going to say. And there were all kind of prayer requests. There was kind of the normal stuff like my husband's job is suffering or my kids are going to college, please pray for my kids. There was the silly stuff like Aunt Faye's cat is having a hip replacement next week and we need prayer for Aunt Faye's cat. But then there was the real serious stuff like we would pray for people's salvation. And there was one lady in particular, and I remember growing up in this church, I loved church, I was there every Sunday night, and this one lady would get up, and every single Sunday night for years, she would get up, and she'd say, I want to pray for the salvation of my husband named Ronnie. And we as a church would pray for Ronnie. And I remember thinking as a kid who had no faith at all, who had very little faith, who had just accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I remember thinking, that was about middle school and high school, and I remember thinking, man, She says this every week. It's almost like it's in vain. You know, she keeps talking about Ronnie and praying for her husband, Ronnie. Well, years and years and years went by, and you know Ronnie accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior, as his Savior, because of the faithfulness and the patience of his wife. And he accepted Christ as his Savior, and you know, last January, he died. He went on to be with the Lord. And Ronnie is in heaven today because his wife, was faithful because she was patient. She stuck in there. She hung in there with him. Who is it that you're thinking of that you need to have patience with? Who is it that you're thinking of that you need to come along and stay with and sacrifice and serve? Father God, help us to bring people to our mind. Help us to have someone or maybe many people in our mind, God, that we can show love to in an extraordinary way, God. Oh, you did it for us. Father God, you sent Jesus Christ as the sacrifice to redeem us so that we, if we accept him, can have a relationship with you in heaven one day. And God, if you were that patient through our sins, through our failures, through our hang-ups, and you loved us that, uh, that much, God, help us to walk in that model of love that you gave us. God, help us to walk in the model of love that you gave us, the model of faithfulness that you gave gave us with Ruth and Naomi. Help us to be people who, like Ruth, will stay close to loved ones, who will sacrifice for loved ones, and who will serve loved ones, God. In the good times and the bad, God, I pray that you would raise us up into people who are faithful. And God, we know that you're going to bless us as a result. You certainly did with Ruth. Not only did you reconcile a family, but God, you reconciled mankind with the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. God, I pray that you would do that in our hearts and our lives. God, help us to be faithful in praying for others, praying for the lost. God, I pray that you would help us to be faithful, to serve those who need to be served. And Father God, I pray that you would help us not to let a day go by before we start doing that. God, I pray that our actions this afternoon and tomorrow reflect how faithful we can be with those that you've put in our lives. Help us to operate that way. And God, I pray for those who may be in here today, and this is the first time that they've really understood the redemption story. And God, I pray that you would just lead them to a point of salvation. If you're in here today and uh, the story of redemption Uh, with Naomi and Ruth and Boaz meant something to you and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The Bible says that all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that He died for you and you will be saved. You'll have eternal life with God in heaven one day. And so just in the quietness of this place, 
If you want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I just want to invite you to pray this prayer in the silence of this room, in your heart, after me. It goes like this. God, thank you for loving me and for making me. Thank you for sacrificing your son Jesus so that I could have eternal life in heaven one day with you. And today, I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. I confess of my sins, and I accept you as my Savior. If you're in here just in the quietness of this place and you prayed that prayer this morning, I'm just going to simply ask you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. I promise I won't embarrass you. Anybody pray that prayer this morning who's in here? Pray that prayer of redemption so that you can have eternal life. Anyone pray that this morning? God, thank you for this story. Thank you that we can live that out in our lives. And I pray that you would give us the courage and the conviction. And God, the ability to live that out in our lives, even today. In Jesus' name I pray.